Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you realize that not everyone can do everything. Samuel Rubin is the co-founder of Yeah Impact, which stands for Young Entertainment Activists Impact, as well as the co-founder of the Hollywood Climate Summit. Samuel is doing some really interesting work, so without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Samuel Rubin. Well, my name is Samuel Rubin. I'm 27 years old, born and raised in Barcelona and based in Los Angeles, California currently, which is sitting on the ancestral land uh, of Tongva. And I uh, started my journey in the entertainment industry as a child actor at the age of 12. And uh, by 13, I was also heavily involved in grassroots activism during the time of Occupy Wall, Wall Street and the economic collapse of 2008 and the aftermath. And so both passions for activism and my performance skills, my storytelling skills collided in what then I felt was called artivism. No? And as I grew up, I got more involved into producing uh, and I realized that that artivism passion within me was also called social impact entertainment and that I could focus my storytelling and production skills in creating, developing and distributing content and media that advances social justice issues that I'm aligned and careful about. And obviously human rights are at the centerpiece of that. My first documentary was about the refugee humanitarian crisis. But then through that, I realized, oh shit, if we talk about refugees, nothing is going to climb, uh, cause more refugees than the climate crisis. And that's how I started getting more involved in environmental uh, sustainability uh, producing action. And uh, in 2019, after graduating from UCLA Film School and focusing on social impact producing, I joined Young Entertainment Activist, also known as Yeah, first as a volunteer, and then co-founded Yeah Impact uh, with Alison Bigelman and uh, Alison and others uh, at Young Entertainment Activist. We created and co-founded the Hollywood Climate Summit, which started in 2020. Best year to start anything, uh, to be honest. But uh, now we are going into the fourth edition and the summit is a great space for people who are at the intersection of climate, entertainment and frontline activism. That's so interesting, and that's a great place to start. So I would love to just go deeper and have you tell me more about your path to get to this point. What inspired you to get started with this work? I know some people have kind of an aha moment, and for others, it's more of a slow burn leading them to activism and change making. So what inspired you to get started with this work? That's a great question. I, 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 I've reflected over that um, through the years, and I think that something that I realized, you know, like I'm very passionate about impact measurement and, and, and exactly what you asked me, you know, it's like what excites people and ignites people activism. And I do think that media played a big role in my consciousness of doing that because I remember when I was seven, eight, nine years old that I will 
uh, like in, in the train, we will always take the public transit to go to school because we had, a, my school was kind of like in the woods. And so we will take a little train. My parents will drop me on the train and then I will go to the rest of the trip with the, you know, school supervisors. And there will be those three newspapers on the train that like called 20 minutes, you know, as in like a quick flip read. And I will always, I, I, I would just, about the time that you kind of like start reading and these newspapers are very basic and not too complex. And I will always be fascinated by policy, social issues. Like I remember I had this clear memory that I saw that there was the mayoral debate. And I was like, oh my God, I have to see the mayoral debate. And then I saw the mayoral debate with like eight years old. And so I think even though that my connection to media started more maybe on the journalistic side and even to that day sometimes I'm staring at cable news and I'm like what am I watching at I'm just like it, it, it's like my brain is still glued to that initial point of contact of me getting to know what's going on in the world from reading the newspaper now every day you know I flip through the New York Times and it's still a routine like even when it was the peak of the pandemic and people were like don't look at the news I was still like oh my god the news but that's depressing, and that's um, an anxiety reading. And it's, you know, I've always been a very uh, passionate person, expressive person, theatrical person. You know, it's, it's in my character and it's in my nature. And I think that because I care so deeply about those serious policy issues, but a lot of times the way I debate them or talk about them is already how you will see someone perform at a circus, then you're like, oh, shit. There is an intersection here, you know, we can talk about boring policy issues through the form of storytelling and uh, community building, not just from a boring lens, you know, and I so I, I always felt very excited of, of, of doing that from a very early age, you know, and, and I was extremely lucky that when I started acting, uh, the first TV, uh, the first theater play that I was on was called child's uh, guns and video games and it has the uh, intentional grammar mistake on it because it will be like children guns and video games but it's like child guns and video games i was 13 years old and, the, and i started rehearsing with 12 but the, the roles that i was playing on that film like i'm 27 now and i can go back 14 years and i can be like oh my god i was playing like a school shooter uh you know a complete racist you know a uh, kid who had been like brainwashed by, you know, racist uh, propaganda. Like, I was playing a lot of like crazy roles that I was like, wow, this is to start a conversation. This is to be radical in this art form. No? And, and my director, whom I did another theater play with when I was 16, and therefore I kind of like work under their, they're like very big established directors in Spain. And it's amazing to see how, you know, how hold their content is kind of like if you go to one of their theater plays you literally know it's going to be cutting edge and i remember that we had a scene on the second play where we like you know when you put coke with mentos so we will do that on the theater and throw it to the audience and and give people raincoach and i was in a red tongue half naked with 16 years old doing that in a theater no? so i feel like to talk about issues concerning climate, concerning human rights, and to do that through those narrative devices. I was truly just very lucky that I had such great mentors and I was able to be 
involved in such cutting edge initiative to allow me permission to not think that none of that is impossible. That's so interesting to hear about all these projects. And I'm sure the plays and the TV shows really elicited a response from the audience. And then, of course, on a personal level, informed you and got you started with this work. So I'm thinking about you reading the newspaper and the story that you told when you were on the train and just learning about all the current events and the issues happening in Spain. Can you tell me about the differences that you see between the issues that people are facing and are passionate about solving in Spain compared to those issues that you've seen in the U.S.? Yeah, and obviously Spain is, you know, European Union because just at the end of the day, just as the U.S. federal system has so much differences interstate, then there is a federal system that resembles what the European Union also works like within those 27 countries. So for me, the comparison has always been kind of like Spain does Europe, California does US. Uh, but I want to clarify before I go deep into this question that I'm fifth generation American. My father was born in Los Angeles. And so I don't even remember the first time that I came to LA because I was a baby. I, 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 I do remember vividly realizing that Los Angeles and Spania were two different countries the first time that I got in a plane and it was one of those planes that had screens on the seat and you could see that animation of the plane route and that was for the first time when my brain understood it like oh that is what we're doing like we're going all the way to the other part of the world but it's called Los Angeles so I just thought it was like also a Spanish thing you know and that's also how I started understanding what colonization looks like. That's a whole other thread that I can go to later. But um, because I've always been visiting my family back in California, always, you know, growing up with an American dad, and, you know, it, it's, it's been my nation, like my identity is half Spanish, Catalan, half American. I've always felt both. So it's funny because here in, in the U.S., I always had the, the the sensation, the feeling that I was annoying people by telling them what could be better about our system. And I use healthcare as the prime example. Like I don't need to be convinced about single payer healthcare. I have I am a member of a country with single payer healthcare. For me, that's not even a debate. I was born in a public hospital and my government has all my medical data. I've never had to do a stupid form. I never had to sign up for a stupid premium. I never had to choose a doctor. It's always been my family doctor and it's been a great doctor. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? So when I hear this kind of discussion here and I have to participate in a debate, of course, I contribute very differently because I'm, for me, this is not an imaginary thing. I just show them my my medical card and I'm like literally this is my number I I can go on my app and I can even ask a question to my doctor in Spain you know and they'll reply even if I'm here you know like but um, I remember always this feeling of being called un-American literally like oh you're so un-American and I, I, I remember being like 16 like my grandparents uh, so basically my grandparents in the US they divorced when I was like super young so in it in my mind, I have like two grandparents in the U.S. because they were already like married before I was born. And so there is the super Democrat liberal ones that moved to Barcelona now and that they're living now in Spain. And the super Trumper ones who used to be like 
traditional Republicans, my grandfather, fake grandfather, no, like my grandmother's husband, used to work for Bush. Oh, I'm never going to support Trump for 2016. Then, oh, now all Trumpers watching Owen all day long and Newsmax. But so I, so I have that American psyche in my in my life. You know, it's not foreign to me. This is my life. This is my family. Then when I go to Spain, you know, I hear so many stereotypes. I hear so many uh, wrong conceptions of what America works like. Because I really believe that direct democracy is more efficient in the United States than in Spain in many ways. It's just that in Spain, there is like in the US, it is legal for a corporation and for a politician to receive money from individuals. But you'll see it. Like everyone is telling you who is giving money to everyone. So for me, that's transparency, you know? In Spain, it happens anyway. It's illegal, but it happens anyway. So you keep hearing about these corruption cases and corruption cases everywhere. And everyone knows that people are buying papers, but then you don't have a registry of it. But then there is a second. It's a fucking mess. And Spain is a monarchy. It's literally ruled by a monarchy that colonized the entire South American continent, slaved millions of people, and has to that day not apologized for it. So... When I hear conversations in the United States about, you know, racism and uh, racial justice and climate justice in a country that is 300 years old, pretty much, that also sit independent. You know, I, I feel very patriotic of being American in many ways, but I want this country to be better because if I can come from a country that I also love and I'm so grateful to, I feel like I'm in this polyamorous uh, citizenship relationship, no? I I love both, but I, I, I can see, you know, how they both have their rights and wrongs, and welfare in Europe is incredibly strong. I mean, I see now from the US the Paris protest and how they are revolting because they don't want age retirement to be 67 when and I love because, and I'm going to end with this point, sorry, I'm just like, this is a topic that I'm very passionate about, but I was watching the other day at NBC Nightly News how they were covering the the protest, because I watch Lester Holt every night, he's my DILF, um, and then uh, they had this reporter asking this French guy, like, why are you here on the street? And the reporter's like, because we are not like the Americans. We are not going to work until we are old. This is not life. We are not going to do that. Ah, and run to burn something. Uh, like, like, it's funny because I've been on those protests at 13 years old. Like, I've seen people burning a Starbucks in front of me, my own friends, you know, like, being, and I've never participated in this kind of direct action, non, uh, like violent direct action, but... It's been very present in my upbringing in the eco, in the activism, no, and I, and it's interesting to see how it works differently in the U.S. where the traditional image is like we're gonna loot a store, we're gonna uh, like, and it's because we are angry, no. There is uh, uh, in Europe there is more like yeah we are angry because you're not gonna take our rights away. So if you try to take our rights, we're gonna start burning things. We're gonna not behave until you give us back what we ours. No, it's kind of like an interesting 
different I've always thought a lot about in the context of old world and new world and how that changes the the activism movement building. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm so glad to get your perspective on all of this as someone who has lived in both Spain and the U.S. And you said you have kind of a polyamorous relationship with both. So I have one more question for you. Lots of young people, especially high school students, college students, want to create change and want to make a difference, but they may not know how to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening? Yeah, that, that's a great question and, and one that I think a lot about as a social impact producer because when I have to create an impact campaign, the fundamental core of my work is to equip people with resources and tools to be able to make a difference and make an impact that is positive, that is not harmful, because a lot of times we throw the word impact in there and it doesn't mean it needs to be a good thing. And I think what I've read the conclusion to is that not everyone can do everything. And that's okay. You know, like it, that applies to myself, no? As a as a creative, my you know, skills are going to be super effective in some areas and ineffective in others. And so, for example, in the Can You Hear Us campaign that I produce with um yeah, Impact Exposure Labs, Tech Society for the I Am Greta documentary on Hulu, uh, and you can find a campaign on canyouhearus.org. You can find uh, an interactive action quiz on the Take Action page that rather than providing the traditional impact campaign Take Action Guide that you can find resources, etc., which is also available, we want you to know what are maybe the best of those action items customized for your skill sets and not just your skill set, but your capacity, because you might only have one hour a week to give to activism, or you might only uh, do things that are possible to do from a rural community, or maybe you are disabled and you cannot you know, leave the house and you have to do everything remotely. There are so many factors that will make your activism stronger if you are conscious of those boundaries, skills, limitations, whatever you want to name it. And uh, when you put out resources out there, when you ask people to engage and to take action, you should also be mindful of what are the skill sets required for that commitment and to be open about, hey, this is something that might be ideal for people with this developmental level on this regard, you know? And if you don't feel that the best position for you, there are other options such as A, B, and C. I really enjoyed talking with Samuel, and I think his story and his work were so interesting to learn about. I want to highlight that last piece of advice that Samuel shared about how not everyone can do everything. Especially when it comes to change making, it's important to consider how you can best contribute and make an impact because that will make you and your team or organization the most effective it can be. I think Samuel's last piece of advice is a great one to keep in mind. Because change comes when you realize that not everyone can do everything. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And you can find Samuel on Instagram at Samuel Rubin V to get connected with him. You can also check out Yeah Impact at Yeah Impact on Instagram to learn more about Samuel's work. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org 
or on Instagram at Be The Change Podcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.